welcome to the American Cinema Foundation Movie Podcast. I'm your host Titus and today I'm joined again by my good friend John Presnell for yet another discussion of Brian De Palma. This is our sixth movie, The Black Dahlia. It came out in 2006, a beautiful neo-noir based on a novel by James Elroy, the writer of LA Confidential, the biggest neo-noir of the 90s. And it's got a lovely cast, Aaron Eckhart and Josh Hartnett play detectives, Scarlett Johansson plays a glamorous woman in LA, and then there is an heiress played by Hilary Swank in her perhaps only role as femme fatale. So you have this glamorous cast and the beautiful cinematography of Vilmos Zygmunt, who was nominated for the Oscar for his work. And yet this was not a very successful movie. It didn't make that much money, the critics did not like it much, and it's probably not even well remembered. In a way, it was the last attack Brian De Palma made on Hollywood, and it was not a film made in Hollywood in the first place. He's been making movies outside of Hollywood for almost 20 years now. This one was, for example, filmed mostly in sound sets in Bulgaria, in Europe, where they had to recreate the Hollywood of 1946. They do an amazing job, but people didn't think it was a glamorous movie about glamorous Hollywood, because indeed it's a tragedy, it's a neo-noir, it's a detective movie. It's a story about the evil in Hollywood. It's a story about what is concealed and why we should look at it and what terrible experiences might follow if we follow our passions, if we chase our dreams all the way to Hollywood. It is the Black Dahlia, the name the press gave in order to sensationalize a murder, the murder of Elizabeth Short. And that makes it unique in the Palma's filmography. It's about a real event. And therefore the question is this young girl from a bad family situation who was alone and who went to Hollywood, why did she do this? What happened? Who was she really? Nobody ever found out. This is America, so constantly crazy people confess to the Dahlia murder. It happened in 46, it happened for decades after. But it was never solved. But James Elroy and De Palma are gonna solve it, and therefore <laughs> say something about America, and say why this matters. So we're gonna talk about the Black Dahlia. John, thanks for joining me again. How do you like the movie? Well, it's great to be here. I liked it a lot. Like you said, this movie got mixed reviews. There was a lot of, amongst major reviewers, I wanted to like it. And it had certain elements, acting and set design and cinematography and some of De Palma's flair, visual flair. But ultimately, it was negative, a negative review. And to a certain extent, you could say this really put the nail in the coffin for any attempt of De Palma getting any Hollywood money. It's failure. It's box office failure. That's why he's moved on to Europe. And also, I think maybe it's story and its themes and what it says about Hollywood, what it says about America is maybe something that Hollywood doesn't always like to look up to. I mean, the Black Dahlia story, you know, it remains a fascination in Hollywood. I note that just last year, TNT Television did a miniseries that was somewhat related to the events around the Black Dahlia, this Elizabeth Short murder, Betty Short, as she's known in the movie, which is to this day never been solved. It was a story that Elroy picked up in his first L.A. quartet, in part for personal reasons. His mother was murdered in Los Angeles in a crime that was never solved. The story, the script found its way to De Palma, and I think it's a pretty good match. I think the reviews underrated. Now, part of it might have to do with just aspects of the plot. I mean, this is a noir. It's a neo-noir. It's James Elroy, and the plot is incredibly complicated. To try to connect all of the threads really requires more than one viewing. There was apparently an original cut that was about three hours. This movie's already at two hours. And that might have provided at least some of the background and exposition that might have helped the audience connect. But as a result, it moves quickly. And some of the things, the connections that lead to the crime and who committed the crime and the relationships between characters, it's difficult to pick out just simply with one viewing, you know, at the theater. So I think it's definitely worthwhile looking at again. And I'm glad to be here to talk about it. Yes, you're right. It is a complicated movie. It is full of illusions, which in a way is typical of the thriller, of the noir. And it is a perfect fit for De Palma since it involves the relationship between beauty, tragedy, murder, injustice, the respectable world we wish to believe we live in, and also our aspirations for an even better world that is perfect, that is Hollywood glamorous, and how those things can come crashing down and what we might do about it. 
it's also not a happy end so people are not going to fall in love with it for that reason but it's not a terribly unhappy end it's a mixed end no. mm-hmm. a lot like life as people would say and mm-hmm. to help our audience please first of all john take us through an overview of the plot and we'll discuss it afterwards okay well we have los angeles here we're post war so it's 46 47 and we have the murder of betty short the big headline story in los angeles I read somewhere it was front page news for about three months or so. And then, of course, I guess like many things in America, it got forgotten, but not entirely forgotten. And so we're introduced to two detectives who work for the L.A. Police Department, Dwight Blykart, he's known as Bucky, played by Josh Hartnett, and Lee Blanchard, who's a little bit older, played by Aaron Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart lives with a woman named Kay Lake, played by Scarlett Johansson. These two detectives want to make their way up in the department, so they want to enter into Warrens, which is the highest esteemed part of the LAPD. But to do this, they have to rely upon something that they did prior to being cops, which is being boxers. So there's a big bond election coming up in Los Angeles that's going to raise a lot of money for the LAPD, including increased salaries for all of the cops. And they want to promote this bond issue. So the police department and the district attorney, Corral, Bucky Blycard. Josh Hartnett and Lee Blanchard, Aaron Eckhart, to do a boxing match for charity. This will promote the police department to the public and show that they're raising money for charity and they can provide entertainment. And hopefully this will help push the bond issue over. And sure enough, it's success. The bond issue passes. They have their fight and they get moved up into warrants. And so now they're partners. But Bucky throws the fight. We learn that Bucky is indebted, and we also learn that he has an elderly father who suffers from massive dementia. The family are German. His father speaks only German. He lives alone in this decrepit apartment. He just shoots pigeons out of the window. He cannot take care of himself. And Bucky is concerned about what to do with his father. He needs money to put his father in a rest home where somebody can take care of him. And so he decides he'll throw the fight, bet against himself, and make money. And sure enough, that's what happens. He gets the money to put his father up and, I guess, pay off whatever debts he had. And he ultimately will move up to warrants, along with Lee, who wins the fight, even though it was thrown. So now we find out a little bit about Lee Blanchard. He had solved a big bank robbery, and he uh, took the money. He arrested this guy, Bobby DeWitt, who was the criminal. He was a pimp who was also a bank robber. And one of his girls was Kay Lake. And so by getting Bobby DeWitt in prison, Lee Blanchard, of course, is seen as the cop hero. But he also takes the money secretly, and he gets Kay Lake. And that's how their relationship is formed. And then Bucky is introduced to Kay and Lee. And so we have a triangle here at the beginning of the movie. And this is important because Bobby DeWitt is going to come out of prison and Lee Blanchard's had to pay off people to keep this information from Bobby that he has the money and now Bobby's going to come back and may want Kay back. And so now Lee's going to have to take care of this. So he has to kill a snitch who told him about the robbery, which allowed him to solve the crime. But he doesn't tell Bucky. So while Bucky used deception by throwing the fight, Lee is now using deception. Lee tells Bucky that they're going to go after some criminal named Junior Nash. But what he's really doing is a stakeout to kill the snitch who would tell Bobby DeWitt where the money is and how to get Kay back and so on. He solves that problem, Lee does. And he also leads Bucky to believe that Lee had saved his life. And it's in this scene. It's a great scene. It's a great setup that the Palma does. While the shootout's going against the snitch, you have this crane shot over the shootout into this field. And sure enough, in that field is where the Black Dahlia's body is lying. And so, sure enough, Bucky and Lee get put on the case and forget about the Junior Nash case. And Lee becomes obsessed with this. Now, prior to all this, this triangle between Bucky and Lee and Kay Lake, things are going wonderful. That's how the narrator is putting it. Bucky Blykart throughout is giving us voiceover, one of the few De Palma movies where you have voiceover. So we're going through this movie with Bucky Blykart as he is experiencing life as a cop, dealing with the Black Dahlia murder, dealing with the triangle between him and Lee and Kay Lake. And so as they begin to investigate, Lee becomes obsessed. He had a younger sister who was murdered. And so this is a way for him to maybe try to redeem that. But he's doing police work by looking at files. He's not going out and hitting the pavement as much at least as Bucky is. And so Bucky begins to investigate. He finds some associates of Betty Short. 
she's hanging out in lesbian bars. We find out that she was perhaps doing auditions and then later that she was in a stag movie. And Bucky begins to piece things together. He goes to the lesbian bar and sure enough, he encounters a lookalike of the Black Dahlia. There are women in Hollywood who wish to dress up like her in her black dress and her black hair, white skin. There's something luring about this. And that is a woman named Maddie Lynn Scott. That's the Hillary Swank character. She's an heiress, incredibly wealthy. She's slumming when she's hanging out at the lesbian bars and nightlife in Hollywood and so on. Immediately, Bucky somehow makes a connection. He has a hunch. He thinks that maybe she has something to do with Betty Short. And it turns out she does. Now, we don't find out the details until much later. This leads to a relationship between Bucky and Maddie Linscott, the Hillary Swank character. She's rich. She wants to keep her name out of the papers. So she'll give Bucky information about Betty Short. But she says, keep my name out of the papers. So she exchanges sexual favors for him, which ultimately Bucky takes. And this introduces him to the Linscott family. The head of the household is a man named Emmett Linscott. He's a Scottish immigrant who came to Hollywood in the 20s, got started working on sets for movies and went into real estate. We're told he built half of Long Beach. He's a millionaire now. He lives in a huge mansion. He collects art. He considers himself some kind of a refined individual. He's an immigrant who made well. Uh, he's an eccentric, though, for sure. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he's married to a woman uh, named Ramona. And of course, Maddie is their daughter. And they have another daughter. Maddie invites Bucky to pick her up and take her out, you know, to make good on the favor. But the father knows Bucky's name because the father is a boxing enthusiast. So they have to have dinner. And here you have this incredible scene, a point of view shot where he meets the father and the mother and the sister and they sit down for dinner. And here we have just an incredibly dysfunctional family. The mother is a bitter, alcoholic, drug addict who just pretty much resents her situation in this family. We find out the father is kind of a vague Germanophile. We're told Hitler was a bit excessive, right? But the Americans could have used him. And of course, Bucky's German. And so perhaps that's Emmett's attraction to Bucky there, apart from him being a boxer. So now we get involved with this family. And it turns out that Maddie is connected to Elizabeth Short. It turns out the whole family is connected to Elizabeth Short. And so Bucky really hit on something with Madeline. But now he's involved in it personally. Lee is still involved in the crime, but eventually he gets murdered by Maddie Linscott. Because it turns out that Lee, while he was putting pictures up and trying to piece the crime together, had found out that Bucky had found a lead with the Linscott family. And so Lee goes over there and accuses them of the murder, and he's going to extort money. So this will be the second example where Lee Blanchard, you know, he's a corrupt cop. He steals the money from the earlier crime. Now he's going to extort money from the Linscott family to keep them away from the murder of Betty Short. How are they related to Betty Short? Well, Madeline and Betty had somewhat of a lesbian romance, and the father sees a resemblance between Betty and Elizabeth. And the father has a friend named George Tilden, which goes back to the Scottish days and back to the early days working in Hollywood. And George still works for Emmett. And so the father is going to set George up with a date with Betty Short. And that, of course, is what leads to the murder. George, this associate of Emmett, actually had an affair with Emmett's wife, Ramona, and was the real father of Maddie. And Maddie looks like Betty Short. And so the mother just can't stand the fact that George would have an affair with a young woman who's the same age, roughly, and looks like his daughter. And so that's actually who kills the Black Dahlia, this wealthy, respected family, but a family that's built upon crime. He built half of Long Beach, but he built it with lumber from the movie sets that he made. They're fire traps. The pipes are leaking. Later, this will even get exposed in the papers. So we see here a certain degree of injustice. I mean, of course, Emmett found out that his friend George was Maddie's real father. And so Emmett disfigures his face. The Black Dolly, we should point out, one of the mutilations that was done to her body was cutting in a smile, like a Joker smile, into her cheeks. Her body was found that way. And Emmett disfigured George's face because he was mad at him for sleeping with his wife, Ramona. And Emmett wants Maddie to be his daughter. So this is why Ramona, when she sees George with Elizabeth Short, she can't handle this. And so they murder her and they disfigure her. All of this is figured out largely through Bucky's not simply acting as a police officer, but getting involved in the family of the Linscotts. This is what leads him through a very series of events to see that this is the crime. Lee, as I pointed out, gets killed by Maddie. 
she does her father's work because Lee is going to extort money for their relationship to the Black Dahlia. Bucky witnesses this murder. He feels guilty. He says, I can't save Lee's life, but Lee saved my life. But of course, we know Lee didn't save his life. This allows him to get together with Kay, but of course, he still has Maddie. As he begins to solve the crime, he confronts the family. The mother admits to the murder. She kills herself. Maddie still tries to be with Bucky, but Bucky won't have it. He ultimately kills her. And then the end of the movie, Bucky shows up at Kay Lake's house and they are able to get together. However, right before he enters into Kay's house, he looks out into the yard. And there is the only scene where we see the full dismemberment and mutilation of the Black Dahlia's body. The crime is solved by the LAPD, right? And it will never be revealed publicly. But the novel solves the crime for us. Bucky commits justice against this corrupt family. He is able to get together with Kay Lake, but he's going to be haunted by this image. Now, we should point out we do get to know a little bit about Betty Short as well. As Bucky's doing his investigation, he comes across some screen tests in black and white that she had made to get into the movies. She's being interviewed by a director, which is, by the way, voiced by Brian De Palma himself. And so we see Mia Kirshner playing Betty Short, this young woman who desires more than anything else to be a starlet. She's innocent, but she's duped and seduced by the glamour of Hollywood, easily manipulated by the director. And of course, we also find out later that she was in a stag film and Bucky's investigative work is able to acquire that. The stag film becomes important because Bucky recognizes the set from a silent movie that he and Lee and Kay had seen. They had gone to the movies together to see the movie The Man Who Laughs from 28, a silent based upon Victor Hugo, which, by the way, has a character with a deformed mouth, just like the Black Dahlia's face had been deformed. And he begins to be able to put these pieces together. But we learn a little bit about Elizabeth Short as well. So we have her body, but we also learn a little bit about her person and her soul, at least in part through this interview with the director. But the movie's not going to give us the justice of the L.A. Police Department. I mean, the L.A. Police Department we see from the get-go is involved with promoting itself to the public to get a big bond issue for itself. It's not perhaps necessarily going to solve crime. It surely is not going to solve this crime, let's say. And just one thing to point out about the L.A. Police Department. One of the opening scenes takes place during the Zoot Suit riots, Hispanic young men and sailors and soldiers fighting each other in the streets. And we have this radio voiceover, citizens of Los Angeles, don't worry, the LA Police Department are in charge of this. Just stay out of these neighborhoods, but the LA Police Department are in charge of it. That's the public radio promotion, but instead we see cops taking bets on who's going to win a fight, the Zoot Suiter or the sailor and so on. So the LAPD doesn't come off too well here. So they're not going to solve this, but Bucky is. And it becomes personal for him as it was personal for Lee. And can Bucky, seeing all the murder, the corruption, the way in which those who have either respectability or those who have glamour and wealth and beautiful things and fine art should point out that the Linscott family are great collectors of art or even the beautiful home that Lee and Kay had made for themselves with the money that was stolen from the previous robbery. As he's come to realize this, and as he comes to murder Maddie, he goes back to Kay. Can he start a life with her with this newfound knowledge? He's innocent at the beginning. His character in the fight is called Ice. Lee Blanchard's character is called Fire. It will be Fire versus Ice. And Ice for Bucky is several things. He's not a braggart. He does not speak a lot. He seems to be somewhat distant. He's somewhat cold. And of course, we learn also perhaps he's also a little bit brittle. He comes from lower class. He has not received a lot of respect. It doesn't seem as if either Lee or Bucky fought during World War II. They gave up boxing and became cops instead. So they don't have that. So he's somewhat brittle. But he goes through this story and maybe out from the other end, he can live in compromised circumstances. That's not complete cynicism, but surely is no longer as innocently being seduced by the wealth and glamour and prestige and respectability that the public world seems to wish to present itself as. Yeah, the Palma gives you this picture of post-war America that doesn't live up to the ideals for which America fought the Nazis. The bad guys are down, they lost as they deserve, the good guys won. America is enjoying even post-war prosperity. The boys are coming home, it's gonna be great. 
But there are also these other crazy things happening, like the real example of the Zoot Suit Wars, ethnic conflict between sailors and Hispanic Mexican young men, gangs, some of them poor, mm-hmm. that just happened. And wonder, was there no public order? Well, sometimes yeah. not, because war is a really bad situation, and you got a lot of young men going around, and who's going to stop them? That's a crime of passion. Certain dark passions can mm-hmm. break out and tear apart the image of respectability, but also the reality of respectability in American life. That's a part of Hollywood you don't see in the movies, on the news. It's not glamorous, it's the opposite of that, but it's real. Mm -hmm. And that establishes also a certain class problem. Glamour is supposed to conceal class differences. So you have Kay Lake and Lee Blanchard, who are a beautiful couple. Aaron Eckhart and Scarlett Johansson, what's more glamorous than that? They're young, they've got money to throw around, she's got herself a college education, she was a boxer, <laughs> a and yeah, exactly, art history. She deals with the beautiful, he deals with the just. He is <laughs> a policeman, the very successful one, cracked the bank robbery like in the movies, and is now moving up to Warrens, where the real action is in the police department. He's got a career ahead of him. So they look like this beautiful couple in this expensive Art Deco house, living a wonderful life of parties, the movies, it's all gaiety. But it turns out there's a lot of darkness and some evil hiding in their pasts, and there's no running away from it. They're the only thing you could call middle class. Bucky mm-hmm. and his father were and are poor, indebted to the mafia, and they have no friends or future. And on the other hand, the Linscott family, they're incredibly obscenely wealthy and also wicked. That is one part of the story that, of course, is not part of reality, who the true murderers of the Dahlia mm-hmm. are. These mm-hmm. terrible rich people have a connection to the past of aristocratic wealth and the past of Europe, the old world, mm-hmm. who are exploiting people. A man who made his fortune by selling bad housing to the poor. Mm-hmm. That's part of the ugly truth about America, where fortunes come from in some cases. It is again not glamorous, and this part of the Palma's art is with James Elroy, the novelist, his art, mm-hmm. to expose in the name of justice the ugly truth about things that happen in America. And that should speak to why we desire to have these beautiful champions of justice, like Mr. Fire and Mr. Ice, Bucky mm-hmm. and Lee. Because we know at some level this world is not pretty, this world is not that nice, even in America there's crime and evil, who's gonna stop that, who's gonna fight it? We're gonna need people to do that, but then we want to beautify these people instead. In this story, like in any self-respecting noir, everybody's damaged goods, and some can live with it, and maybe there's a future ahead of them, and some are doomed. That's not a picture of America we want to see, especially not post-war America, this moment of purity, of victory over evil. But there's no holy grail at the end of that quest. You just have to get back to ordinary life where there's a lot of injustice, where the rich exploit the poor, where respectability hides injustice done to the innocent, where there's Mm -hmm. this violence that penetrates through our consciousness of everyday life because nobody can explain what the hell happened. This woman was murdered. She was cut Mm -hmm. in half, she was treated like a museum piece. Who the hell does that to people? Something insane happened. Evil was there in plain sight and nobody could look away. Some lady walking a child in a push pram discovered this in a back lot. Mm -hmm. My lord. But it's real. And there's no lying about it now. And then of course it's sensationalized in the media because who wants to face the inexplicable, unsolvable evil of it? And that's Mm -hmm. why we go from the reality to the drama where it becomes about social class, about order, about law, about justice, and about this unusual man, Bucky, all-American, but he is of German extraction at a time where things like the Zoot Suit Wars showed that ethnic conflict was never far from the surface. Mm -hmm. He's only too conscious of the misery of his situation. He was never that good as a boxer. He didn't get a good agent, he didn't get a good deal. He's not that good as a cop. He's not the smartest kid, but Mm -hmm. he has an all-American sense of justice that comes with living in poverty and misery and therefore seeing how the poor are treated. And his idea of justice is exactly like in the movies, that John Wayne should beat the hell out of that bad guy, whoever he is in this movie. He believes in this, and it shows that it's not just a John Wayne picture, as it were. Americans really believe that you have to beat up bad guys. I mean, he believes it. You have the first criminal, Junior Nash... And he has killed an old, he stole her handbag or something, and he ends up killing her. And he says, this guy needs to be killed, right? 
And that leads, you know, to the first conflict between Bucky and Lee Blanchard because Lee wants to get on the Dahlia case. And Bucky's like, no, we need to first find this guy, Junior Nash. He's out there. He's killing people. And of course, we find out later he commits a robbery where he kills an innocent child in Chinatown. You know, he, he thinks that that is what needs to be done is to go and get these bad guys. They exploit grandmothers and they do violence to Chinese immigrants who are not wealthy, who are just running a store. And so he identifies with this and he wants to protect them and bring justice. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Lee, he has personal motives. He sees his sister in the Dahlia, but also it gets him in the headlines and Lee likes to be in the headlines. And he lies about Junior Nash. He says, oh, Junior Nash fled. He's out of our jurisdiction. That's how they're able to get off that case and get onto the Dahlia case. So Lee is much more compromised, to say the least. Bucky has no informants. Lee has a whole list of snitches that he relies upon here and there to help him solve these crimes. Now, how are you going to solve a crime if you don't know where the criminals are, right? This is a conundrum for sure. But Bucky has a perhaps more naive understanding of justice, and he's honestly motivated by that. Yeah, I mean, obviously both men are very, very angry about the violence done to the innocent, especially done to women. This is Mm -hmm. the thing that drives them wild. And in the case of Lee, knowing that his sister was murdered, nobody ever fixed that, nobody ever solved that. She was just a teenager and one day she was a corpse. That drives him insane. All his life of beautiful luxury parties is over. He obsesses over this case, he stays up nights. His girl Kay Lake is surprised and scared about this because he's losing mm-hmm. his mind. And indeed, he doesn't even care about what cases he's actually on. He just obsesses over this. Mm-hmm. And that's a certain lack of self-restraint. Seeing this sort of evil makes the man lose control of himself. And mm-hmm. that's part of the problem with anger. Without anger, we don't have any justice. Somebody's going to have to do the violence that is necessary. But on the other hand, anger is experienced as choking. You can't breathe when you're so furious. Your veins pop. You feel Mm -hmm. like you're in the grip of something that's killing you. It is tied up with fear, with defensiveness, and with violence. And in the case of Lee, he loses his mind over this stuff. Sure. On the other hand, there's the fact that he is morally compromised, that he did steal from a bank robber. That's right. He built a life on that fortune, and now that bank robber is coming out of jail and is going to be in trouble again. He wants to get more money by more crimes to deal with the fact that he got that money by criminal ways. Glamour Mm -hmm. is so attractive. Who doesn't want that lifestyle? Everybody does. Everybody admires the glamorous. And so one day Lee cracked, and he became corrupt, and he started stealing money. He stole from a bank robber. He's not a bank robber himself, but he is morally corrupt. He abandoned what made him a sure. man. And this leads and that to kind of protection inevitably, however beautiful, however glamorous, however successful he's been. Protection of women. He has innocent victims exploited and murdered and violence. I mean, even Kay Lake. Kay Lake had come out to Hollywood probably for similar reasons as Betty Short, the Black Dahlia, did. She's from North Dakota. And somehow she ends up with Bobby DeWitt, the bank robber, who's pimping her out. You know, so in large measure by putting DeWitt in prison and then taking his money and setting up Kay, you know, now he can provide, you know, he's saving her in terms of her innocence. We learn pretty early that their relationship with the finer things that they can buy with their money and seem to be this young, beautiful couple is not a sexual relationship. Kay tells that to Bucky pretty early. It's almost like they're brother and sister even, but they're seen as this couple that might be going against police regulations, living in sin, except they're not literally sinning. He sees Kay as this innocent, just as we see Betty as this innocent, just as he views his sister as this innocent. And, you know, that's why Hillary Swank's Maddie character needs to come up, because we know from the get-go that this woman, the femme fatale, she is not always going to tell the whole truth. The fact that she's slumming itself shows a doubleness to her. And the mimicry of the Black Dahlia, she's a lookalike. So there's a great deal of doubleness to her. That's an element of womanhood that neither Bucky nor Lee are aware of in their own motivation to do justice. Yeah, they need to believe that women are innocent. That they may become victims, which would be terrible, but they would never be evil themselves or perpetrators. That would be too shocking to deal with. And that seems to be because neither of these two men is much good at planning. They're fire and ice. Bucky is Mm -hmm. somewhat thoughtful. He's a good narrator. But it's because he's not a man of action. Or not Mm -hmm. much of one, rather. Lee is a man of action. 
he acts on impulse violently and so far he's succeeded. He's achieved every success he could wish for actually. But it's also what destroys him, his very strength, his very success builds against itself and then he ends up dead. And mm -hmm. not only dead, but destroyed, forgotten, like the Dahlia, never yes. to be heard from again. Nobody knows what happened to him, or rather only Bucky and the Mafia knows and neither can tell. That's right. And so all that glamour turns into nothingness and oblivion. Indeed, the shocking thing about Lee is that he's so much driven by his anger at violence done to women that he has become impotent. Mm -hmm. It's surely a dramatic conceit, an exaggeration of a kind. Don't take this to the doctor. But it's supposed <laughs> to make a point. Too much anger leaves no room for pleasure, for eroticism, which is like it That's or right. not tied up with something different than justice and innocence. And Bucky is shocked to hear this from Kay as she gradually reveals it, just like he's shocked to see that she was marked, that Bobby yes. was a maniac, the man who should have been killed, not thrown in jail, because he carved his name with a knife in her skin. It is the sort of shocking thing that you can't really explain. What do you do about that? Why is that guy still alive? Well, that's what the world is like. The poor mm -hmm. live with a kind of violence that shocks respectability, and respectability to some extent wishes to conceal this, even behind glamour, so that we don't have to deal with it. And mm -hmm. indeed, Kay was like the Black Dahlia. She is another silly girl who came to Hollywood. And that's the truth of it. America and the world love Hollywood, and that means a lot of girls are going to go there searching, searching for that life of celebrity, which is a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how this poor girl ended up the girlfriend of a guy who turned into her pimp. And Lee saved her, actually. But at yeah. the same time, he never got over this matter. And although he has in her a new sister, he's looking for his sister still, which becomes the Black Dahlia. Mm -hmm. Another sister he couldn't save. And There here we see something you know, about Kay. the experience of evil that's unforgettable. Lee and Kay react to it differently. Kay was a victim. But for that reason, she's more resilient. And the Palma shows you that victims aren't necessarily weak, just like they're not necessarily pure morally. Kay is neither. And she has managed to tough it out precisely because she has suffered. Mm -hmm. Lee never suffered anything like that. And he never had to cope with it. Mm -hmm. Less suffering than that has been enough to make him mad. He's in one way much tougher than Kay and certainly much stronger, but he's not tough of mind. Just like he easily succumbs to anger, he also loses his mind and becomes corrupt. Sure. I mean, he's even breaking regulations and doing the Black Dahlia case, taking evidence and so forth. He's completely lost it. Kay, from the get-go, upon meeting Bucky, offers herself to a certain extent to Bucky. He doesn't see that. But the first thing she tells him when they're first introduced, they're talking about the fight. And Kay says, you know, for civic reasons, you know, I hope this will help the bond pass. Right? She says, for personal reasons, I hope my man Lee wins. Right, But for aesthetic reasons, I hope you both look good with your shirts off. Right? And then it's the immediately in the next scene where she tells him, because Bucky's saying, how come y'all aren't married? This is against regulations. And she says, oh, no, we don't sleep together. And then, of course, later on, we see as Lee is just off in his own world trying to do the Black Dahlia case, She shows him at the top of the stairs as she's about to go to bed and she's in her night clothes. And we see the branding, the carving of Bobby DeWitt's initials BD on her skin. This is somewhat of an invitation. and But Bucky won't do it. He thinks that Lee is his partner, like his brother. He admires Lee. He doesn't want to betray a friend. He thinks Lee saved his life, so he won't do it. Even though he knows that they're not really a couple in this sense. She tries a couple times. Eventually, they do have sex after Lee is killed. Bucky's a little bit short on the take. Even when Madeline, the Hillary Swank character, says, how do I keep my name out of the papers? I'll give you information. But my family, we can't have our names and my name dragged across the headlines, hanging out at lesbian bars with the Black Dahlia and so forth. She's offering him sex. And at first, he thinks she's offering him money. Now, of course, he does take that pretty quickly, right? Their relationship is pretty much only sexual. So after they have that dinner scene with her family, they immediately go to a cheap motel and uh, have sex. But Bucky is a little bit unclear about women in this sense and his own desires. Well, Lee has an idealized sense of justice, but he thinks what needs to be done to achieve it is corruption. But it's also his fire, his anger that leads to his madness. 
Bucky, our narrator, he's ice, so he can comment on the events as they're happening. But it's interesting about the voiceover, while it's retrospective, it's also told, though, from the point of view of going through it. And so, for instance, people lie to Bucky all the time, and we see him falling for these lies. It's one reason that makes the movie somewhat difficult to follow, because we, the audience, are believing the lie, and we don't realize that that was a lie until later. So Bucky wants justice. He won't do the corrupt means to get it. He'll throw a fight to save his father, but he surely, when it comes to doing justice on the street, uh, he wants to go after Junior Nash. He wants to solve the Black Dahlia case. But now he's involved with the very family and Maddie's family. They are the culprits. They are the murderers. And this gets him involved in a personal way where he hadn't really been thinking about it before. Yeah, Bucky is led by experience to what little wisdom he acquires. His sense of justice and his lack of confidence, lack of self-assertion, make him gullible in a certain way, but also make him endure where he would otherwise collapse, given that he is in certain ways brittle, as you suggested. He needs preparation for the moral shocks that the plot will reveal to him, and yet he is led inevitably to make those terrible discoveries because he really does care about justice and about the truth. That is to say, mm-hmm. learning the truth about what happened to victims in order to do them justice. He can't betray his friendship because his confidence as a man and as a detective depends on it. He cannot mm-hmm. be immoral even if it is the wise thing to do. It's very difficult to explain because as you astutely pointed out, there is a difference between the narration, which is in a sense knowing, and on the other hand, the going through events, which is blind to certain truths. Mm-hmm. It takes a certain suffering to learn. There are things that you could not have discovered in advance. There are two different stories, as it were, being told at the same time in order to give you a fuller picture of this character. Because to begin with, Bucky is us. He's not an important man. He's not a rich man. He's not successful. He is awed by America, but not rewarded. These things are never going to happen for him. He wants to believe at some level in America's justice, in America's greatness, in America's beauty, but they're not working out for him failure. It's made him in certain ways weak. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really know what is there to look forward to. Why try so hard? There's not going to be a reward. Nobody really cares if you work hard or not, but he wants it to be true. He believes like we believe in justice. Like we are, he's kind of weak and not above a certain degree of corruption. He's no pure knight of the holy grail or something like that. Mm -hmm. You have to Mm -hmm. be realistic. He is, as I said, us. And for that reason, he shows you what it is that Brian De Palma wants to teach us. What it means to be seduced by glamour and to be driven to find out the truth that hides behind glamour, which is incredibly ugly, which is about the reality of evil and injustice. Mm -hmm. And whether you could live with it when you find that out. It doesn't find all the truth out, but it destroys him and first it corrupts him and first it drives him mad. He saw too much too soon, perhaps. Bucky's yeah. protected from that. Even the lies, even glamour, turn out to protect him until he's ready to face things he would not have been able to face in the beginning. And so there is a kind of providence, strangely enough, in deception, and perhaps in a way even in wickedness. It may be a shocking mm-hmm. thing to think about, but the plot of the story reveals that by revealing the ugly truth only gradually. So Bucky has to learn partly that women are not innocent and they are not all that weak and that he is not all that strong, but that he is stronger than people think he is and that he is smarter than people think he is. He's played for a loser, but that's mostly because he's not glamorous. It's not because he's stupider than other people. It's Mm -hmm. just that the fact that he's looked down on has made him look down on himself. The fact that America has no good to offer him has led him to suspect that maybe he doesn't deserve any good things. This is why this friendship, which in a way is fake, with Kay and with Lee, in another sense is true. It nourishes his soul. It makes a man of him. It makes him want to be the kind of man he thinks Lee is. It makes him want to be the kind of man that Kay thinks he is since she's so attracted to him. And that is, in a sense, a moral growth. And you can see it happen in the two hours of the movie until he becomes the protagonist we wish him to be, until he becomes that John Wayne on screen who will do justice unflinchingly. Mm -hmm. But it takes a getting there and it takes tragedy. Elizabeth Shore, the Black Dahlia, reveals this shocking thing about America. We say it's the land of the free, you can be whatever you want, chase your dreams, but it might turn out to be a horror. 
It turns out that for America to be the land of the free, it also must be the home of the brave because there's no surviving it otherwise. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Bucky has to become brave. Lee, in a sense, became too brave too early and it made him insane. And that yeah. is to a certain extent true of Kay as well. She was abused. She suffered. She had to escape a pimp who would carve her up. And so she decided that you do what you have to do. And in a certain way, the morality went out of their lives and any sense of what's good about human beings or the reality of justice. That is a corrupting power in the soul. She has no respect for Bucky's innocence, although it is precisely on that that she must rely in order for him to That's protect right. her. But she doesn't understand that anymore. That's why she's attracted to Bucky in the first place. He is not a braggart. He is not selling himself as everybody has to do in Hollywood and indeed in America. That makes in him the Los Angeles Police Department, yeah. But she looks down on him because he's a bit dumb, because he's not had experience. He doesn't know the angles. He doesn't know how to work a room. And unfortunately, she can't offer him much help, but she does in her hints about her life, about her past, about evil that she has suffered. She does prepare him to grow up. She doesn't yes. force all this stuff on him. That turns out to be enough for him to realize that he's got to behave like an adult and be realistic about the misery of America, of Hollywood, and not go crazy because of it. He has to somehow stay himself, even when the people he admires and the things he believes in explode. Yeah, you know, he has to go through all these dead ends. He has to go through the experience. I like what you said, that he's like us in this movie. He has the sense that justice needs to be done and that the good guy needs to go out there and take out the bad guys. There's good and evil and the good guy can do this. And this is a beautiful image and it's a true image in part, or certainly that's where he begins. But then we see he gets seduced down these various different tracks that lead to various dead ends. Kay's part of this and she only reveals things piecemeal, unlike Lee's character, right? Like you said, maybe he learned it too fast. That's also the fire element him, right? He just acted in the heat of the moment. Bucky's being ice-like in the narrative while he's going through it. He has to kind of see these through to the end to come out the other side. And in part, Kay's there. Like you said, she looks down upon him. There's a moment when they're put on the Black Dahlia case. They were in the headlines for the fire and ice fight. And now Lee and Bucky are going to be in the headlines because they're leading up the Black Dahlia case. Of course, the DA and everybody else is doing this for promotion, including even Lee. And Kay asks him, well, what are you doing it for? And so she recognizes that he's doing it for this more innocent sense of justice. She knows this is not going to get him far enough, but she doesn't disabuse him of it immediately and just kind of reveal everything going on here because that's what's needed to provide for some kind of mitigated way of living within all this corruption. You have to go through it. You have to live through it, experience it. And of course, that's going to be blind, as you say. You can't look at it retrospectively while it's happening. But you have to go through it in the real sense that involves the passions, the senses of betrayal, the loss of friends through murder, the revealing of corruption and of crime, crime at the basis of even what seems to be high, the wealthy Linscott family and so forth. He has to see all that, yet he doesn't just become a cynic calling everybody liars and knaves and murderers and criminals and so forth. He does justice when he kills Madeline. Madeline killed his partner. Madeline's family was responsible for Betty Short's death, right? This family is evil, right? It's bad. And now he's doing it in a sense of experience that touches upon him personally and in terms of his passions, as opposed to just his immediate sense of justice is something that can easily be done just by doing the right thing. Doing the right thing leads him to certain dead ends and disappointments. But he goes through that. And so he does not just say everything is just ugly, but now he recognizes certain aspects of the beautiful things that are still worthy of recognizing and supporting, even though it's going to miss out on all that glamour. The high art of the Linscotts, even the fancy house of Kay, let alone the mighty LAPD and their great claims to be able to bring about justice for the people of Los Angeles and America. I mean, obviously, this is somewhat of a comment on Hollywood, even. Yeah, or learning about more than the political education affected to a large extent through seduction and suffering, illusion and mm -hmm. disillusionment. And can you come out on the other side sane, humane, with your moral convictions wiser but not corrupted? And that's the moral purpose of the story and the moral function of tragedy. Glamour is a catastrophe waiting to happen, but it is not one we can avoid. We are seduced by the beautiful. We want to believe in those glamorous things. 
the place mm -hmm. Hollywood land built by corrupt people like the Lynn Scots is turning into the thing Hollywood, this power to amaze America and the world with lies, with mm -hmm. easy solutions to tough problems. But those things turn out to be necessary, unavoidable, but in need of correction. You can't mm -hmm. give up on that John Wayne image. Sometimes somebody's gonna have to do justice the violent way. But you cannot leave it at the simple belief that whoever is glamorous, beautiful, wealthy is good. Any mm -hmm. more than you could leave it at saying that the people who live in suffering or misery deserve it. Justice is way more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. And that means that there's a certain requirement of learning in storytelling, in poetry. The Palma shows you that you shouldn't be using glamour to hide evil and to lie to people about what the world and America is like. You should use the beautiful to help people see why it moves yeah. our souls, why we want love, friendship, justice, and success, and what we could actually get and what we have to deal with to be less deluded. But that turns out to be a fairly bitter pill to swallow that people might not want to swallow without something so beautiful as the Palma's movies. Mm -hmm. And here we see that what the Elroy novel and the De Palma movie add to the story of Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, is this Linscott family, these corrupt people. The logic of this is that, in one way, they're fake aristocrats. In mm -hmm. another way, they are the truth about our celebrities, our glamour. Those are fake aristocrats. When Hollywood happened, all of a sudden new fortunes were made. Actors, directors, what have you, studio owners became wealthier than sin. And they imitated the aristocrats. We call them stars for a reason. They seem to be fit for heaven, not for earth. Way above yes. us. Indeed, generations of Americans have screamed after star after star after star. We treat them like gods. We give them money for the privilege of serving them. <laughs> Without our adoration, they don't exist, but at the same time, we pay them for the <laughs> privilege of giving them adoration. And that can mm -hmm. become very, very dangerous. It encourages entire industries to exploit us because they think they have to keep selling this image of the beautiful for the money, for the sake of civil tranquility, to keep people with these fantasies. Mm -hmm. And that is based on the assumption that everybody in it, the people who make up the beautiful lies, the people who buy them and swallow them whole, all know this world is ugly. But we keep yep. lying that is beautiful. And so we need that light to be super plausible, glamorous, and all engulfing. Everybody's got a sign on the line that is dotted with Hollywood. We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to America. And then there's Brian De Palma saying, well, you know, I don't need a career with you Hollywood clowns. You're all abetting <laughs> wickedness here. This is crazy. You're making the nation crazy because you don't have the guts to tell the truth. And you don't have the art to tell the truth. You have to do it mm -hmm. the artful way. And so even this, as you pointed out, Brian De Palma added something to the Elroy novel. Betty Short, these screen yep. tests where you see how this girl became corrupted. And the heartbreaking truth of it is that she didn't deserve it, but she consented to the corruption. It's hard to find comparable examples. The David Lynch, Mark Frost, Twin Peaks shows that. A yeah. girl who was abused, but who in another way consented to evil. Mm -hmm. Terrifying as that thought is, there it is. And we see with Betty Shore that she's not talented. She's never going to make it. <laughs> Why is she lying about knowing important people to get ahead? Because she mm -hmm. desperately wants success because only that beautiful life of the stars could save her from the misery of everyday life in America. She was just a girl from Massachusetts. The father ran out on the family. They were poor. It was bad. She went to live with some relatives in Florida. She went to her father in L.A., whom we see in the movie doesn't give a damn yeah. about her. Oh, yeah. He thinks also the worst of her. Slut or whore, he, yeah. Exactly, mm -hmm. because if he can call her a slut, then he doesn't have to care about his own daughter. It's the land yeah. of the free. You can abandon your children. Yeah. Shocking mm -hmm. as it is, there it is. That's who she was. That's why she was looking for glamour to save her from all this. That's why she was willing to lie and to endanger herself and in a way to debase herself in porn movies in order to get something of that glamour. This is the mm -hmm. terrifying phrase of the movie. Hollywood will fuck you and no one else will. <laughs> After all the failure, there is also debasement coming. And that is mm -hmm. the unfortunate truth of it. Just like Hollywood doubles up as a porn industry full of women who wanted success, who believed in the glamour that Hollywood sells and were used and consented to their abuse. That's terrible, but it's true. It's part of the ugliness that we have to admit, because if we don't deal with it, that ugliness then forces even more people into ugliness. Mm -hmm. That is why we have the ugliness of the porn industry, because we want to believe in the beauty of Hollywood and then to abuse it.
and that's mm-hmm. terrible and that's why you know, people like Brian De Palma don't get Oscars that's why they don't get a lot of money that's why people yeah. don't sing their praises you don't blow the whistle on our conspiracy of beautiful lies you know De Palma has two Hollywood movies Body Devil and Black Dahlia both of which at least in part say that Hollywood is hard to distinguish its movies from stag movies porno movies uh, they both talk about pornography here we have De Palma the director doing the screen test You know, this illusion and seduction of the public has to be effective enough also to draw, you know, future talent into the machine. Now, many of them are going to get figuratively grinded up and a few will get literally grinded up in terms of their body here. And, you know, we see in those screen tests, the Palma having discussions with Elizabeth Short. We see her innocence. We see her naivete. We see her willingness. You know, what lines is she quoting from Gone with the Wind? This is connected to her supposed friendship with David Oselznik. You know, what is it? It says, I will never starve, right? I will lie. I will steal. So she's willing to do whatever it is. So this is her naively, no doubt, but actively involved. It's hard to say, right? You know, obviously she's deluded. She's agreeing to this. She's participating in it. But in participating in it, she's participating in the lie. Like many of these young starlets, like Kay Lake herself, ended up being prostituted and so forth. Hollywood maybe even needs that to keep the machinery going. Yet that's not what Hollywood surely wants to look at. And that's why De Palma's not going to be considered to be. It never did really find a home in Hollywood. In part, I suppose this is his response to their response to him. He's saying something about how Hollywood is presenting the beautiful. And like you said, we pay for this seduction, knowingly paying for seduction. So you have a criticism of cinema, a criticism of art in this movie, showing it as an illusion. But then De Palma casts himself as the director, the typical casting couch. He is no doubt trying to seduce her. He says, do you have a boyfriend? She says, well, I had a fiance. We hear the sad story about that. He says, don't you like to go out and have fun? She says, I was in love once. He says, I fall in love five times a night, right? You know, so let's do the casting couch, a typical thing here. He can gratify himself and so on. Maybe I can get you a job in the movies, right? But obviously, that's De Palma, the character within the movie. De Palma, the director of The Black Dahlia, is not going to entirely destroy what art can provide for us in terms of our education to understand how to relate to these images of the beautiful. Surely not to just simply destroy them. Bucky, at the end, when he starts to realize the truth, he says, I no longer believe in fairy tales. He goes to the house of the Scots to confront them, and he starts shooting all the artwork that they've collected. So it looks as if he says, I don't believe in art. I don't believe in the beautiful. I'm just going to destroy it. But the movie, that's not the final word on art. But it's a criticism of the beautiful, but recognizing that it has to be there Otherwise, we're just stuck with the grimmest of grim reality of crime and just mere self-interest. And that way of viewing the world's not going to be able to deal with living well or living decently even with some sense of dignity with where it possibly can be done, even if only in private, providing for some kind of sense of justice. And so you have this critique of art, but De Palma doesn't think he's just simply a porno director. It's a distinctive type of movie or cinema that he's giving us here, I think. Yeah, so... Art is not porn, at least in the case in which it is tragic. It summons up all our illusions, all our love of the beautiful, all our willingness to be seduced by perfection, and then disillusions us. Bring mm-hmm. those idols down, show us the ugly truth, to show us that in certain ways we want to consent corruption, and that we should instead look for innocence. Mm-hmm. And that's a painful process that involves a certain degree of self-knowledge. There's not mm-hmm. going to be somebody winning vicarious victories for us. We actually have to face some suffering ourselves. These are not pleasant things to look at or to think about even. The notion that we create these fake aristocracies that abuse us with our consent is terrible. But that is the truth about Hollywood. But there is a kind of hope if indeed you destroy the artworks like Bucky does... If, like Elroy and the Palma, you put up this vulgar democratic guy, all-American Bucky Blykert... He is somebody we should learn to respect, even though he's not glamorous. He has to learn that justice isn't everything, that you need other things to live, but he also has to be tested. Will he still do justice when it costs him a lot? When he has to kill up close somebody he wanted to love? Because he learns that Madeline Linscott is evil. She's not just slumming it or a sexual deviant or what have you. She murdered Mm -hmm. his friend Lee in cold blood. 
Mm-hmm. Behind glamour, there are people whom we do not see, who don't want to be seen, who don't want to make the headlines, who want to hide. And some of them are evil. Yeah. Bucky has to learn that. He has to be seduced by glamour first in order to later be undiluted. He has to believe that Lee is a noble champion of justice before he learns that no, he was a corrupt man. He has to believe that Kay was innocent before he realized that she was actually kind of corrupt. She did not deserve violence for that reason. She did not deserve the treatment she got. And there is a certain daring in her and there's a certain nobility in her standoffish flapper behavior because it's the behavior of a woman who had to deal with misery and to come out and live something of a good life, if at all possible. In a certain way, she is stronger than he is, just like she is smarter. But she's not capable of doing justice. That and he has to learn that just that kind of hot-headed pursuit of justice is going to lead to his oblivion. Not just his own death, but like with Lee, when he's killed, he's killed in a mob boss's building. And the mob boss doesn't want any suspicion being placed upon one of his buildings. So he happens to have his own incinerator in the basement. And so they just incinerate Lee. And Lee will be forgotten. We never see any other family. Kay and Bucky will remember him. But beyond that, whatever good he did and whatever good he stood for, what good qualities he had, as well as the bad, it will all just go down the memory hole. And for what? You see, so he has to learn that, well, maybe he himself is not really going to get this kind of great honors bestowed upon him for doing justice. The police department will get its bond issue. His day one in warrants when he shows up, because he and Lee were the ones who were instrumental in getting the bond passed. You know, they walk in and all the cops give him a standing ovation. Thanks for our raise. And then he's told, okay, this is the last ovation you're going to get until retirement day. He has to learn that he's not going to be, you know, John Wayne in the sense of also getting the kind of recognition of being a man who could stand up, do the right thing, fight for justice and get honor or glory even. This is America, right? This is democracy. He's not going to be remembered for that. Yeah, we need to defend democracy, and the Palma does that. He has a left-wing criticism on irresponsible elites, abusive elites, the glamour that hides the evil that elites perpetrate. But he also is saying you have to be realistic. You can't live on justice. You have to figure out what you can live on. Part of that means admitting that America is, first of all, the land of the free. Freedom will come with a lot of chaos. And justice Mm -hmm. is not the first thing in everybody's mind. It might happen in a time of crisis, especially if it's something like we got to beat the Nazis. Then the nation can get on the same page. But otherwise, justice is never going to matter that much. And there's a lot of heartbreak in that, but it's the natural consequence of what it is that we want out of freedom. It is only concealed from us by glamour. And that's why we need to be disabused of our glamorous conceits, of our delusions. Only then will it be possible to say, on balance, freedom is pretty good, Mm -hmm. but it needs correction. People still need to care about justice and to remember that usually you want to care more about the victims. Their suffering Mm -hmm. is a very serious political and moral concern. And so you will need people willing to do justice. And then it's not going to look glamorous anymore. It's not going to be progress, easy victories, pure principles or something like that. It'll often Mm -hmm. involve violence and people who are sort of compromised. People who know their way around crime, people who know their way around suffering. It'll sometimes mean damaged goods, not spotless heroes. And that is the point about De Palma's own ironic corruption. He presents himself as the voice who corrupted Betty Short, as Mm -hmm. the initials, like you pointed out to me, BD, (laughs) that were carved out in Kay Lake's skin. That is an ironic corruption, that is to say, he is the man who corrupted, say, Bucky Bleichard. He is the man who corrupts us, the audience, by robbing us of our beautiful delusions and showing Mm -hmm. us that there is evil and that we have to suffer, that the movies aren't there to make us feel pretty and successful and somehow basking in the reflected glow of the glamorous stars we worship. That instead, that beauty is supposed to lead us to a deeper understanding about justice. That we need to fight evil, but we cannot turn around and think that fighting evil makes us perfect. Mm -hmm. The fighting for justice, we need the anger in response to injustice, right? And that anger, the fire, say, of Lee Blanchard can lead to these kinds of extreme claims of justice as being the own end. So the mitigated understanding of justice in the United States with regard to democracy, let's say, also has something to do with acknowledging anger and somehow having to learn and not letting it get the better of you to such an extent that you destroy yourself. You know, that is a key point here. 
When Bucky murders Madeline, he's angry at her, of course, for lying to him, for family being involved in the Black Dahlia, and of course, especially for killing Lee. And yet there's a certain coldness, ice there in killing her. You know, it's interesting. She, Maddie, in that scene, keeps wanting to talk bad about his friend Lee and Kay, and she criticizes Bucky. She says, you'd never slept with Kay, you know, if I hadn't killed Lee, so you should thank me. And then he says, and you don't want to go to Kay, you know, you want to come with me. You want to fuck is what he says. You know, you'll choose me over that. And it looks as if initially he might go this way. But instead, he just shoots her. She says, you don't have the guts to shoot me. He shoots her. You need to have those guts. But of course, he's no longer acting as Detective Dwight Blakehart of the LAPD here. This is personal. This is private. This is going to be a murder probably that itself will not be resolved. You know, it's interesting. The Linscott family is ruined at the end of this. The mother kills herself. And Emmett, the father, it's all come out in the press that basically he's created all this housing. And so they're under siege by the press. They're planning on moving back to Europe. They're just going to flee America here. But Madeline won't make it because Bucky's going to shoot her. But he does it with a certain degree of coldness. That requires him kind of going through it and learning the hard way. He has to have the loss of his friend and a lot of his illusions destroyed. But surely the argument here is not that you could just somehow go from the sense of injustice and then just accept some kind of, well, that's the way everybody is. And you can have some kind of sense of, well, let's just have law, protect people's private rights and so on and have no concern for the beautiful. I mean, De Palma thinks that Hollywood is so successful precisely because of that. We long for that perfection, completion, wholeness that the beautiful promises, even if it conceals a dark side. You wouldn't be fully human somehow. And you surely are not going to be able to live well in the United States because you can talk all about everybody's rights being protected under the law. And we can have courts adjudicate all of our disputes and people can be rational and industrious and reasonable and so on. And yet then we work hard all day to go to the movie theater or stream, I suppose, and spend our money to stream series that tell us the good story, the pretty story. So, you know, Bucky destroys art. You know, he says, I don't believe in fairy tales, but perhaps he hasn't gone that far, right? And he still has some sense of justice, but it is private and it's personal. And it's not going to say, well, let's just have the LAPD or let's pass a law that can get rid of all of our problems. I mean, he goes back with Kay, so he's still attracted to her, but it's a newer relationship, maybe a more realistic one. There's a possibility that he and Kay could do this, or at least not repeat the mistake that Lee had made with Kay. He says at the end, you know, I betrayed people, I failed people, people have betrayed me, but now, you know, I've got someone who loves me and whom I can protect. It sounds good. And of course, then that's the final scene when he looks out at the yard and that body of Elizabeth Short and the unresolved crime will be there, though. It will haunt him. That's outside. So you go inside with Kay. Yeah, somehow order is not enough, however complicated the system of politics and the markets and all these good things, it's not enough. People still get angry, people still get fearful, people still do evil things and therefore have to deal with the evil things that are done. And in a way the movies are more realistic, at least movies like The Palmas, about America and about Americans' hearts. And that seems to be a correction we need. The Palma admits that there's a price to pay for this, then you'll be haunted by evil. These experiences are unforgettable, but it is only those unthinkable things that get people thinking about what justice do we have and what could we get out of justice without obsessing over perfection. Because there's are also urgent questions. What do you do about justice? What we start mm -hmm. with is a kind of picture. I mean, Bucky sees these two friends of his. Lee is Mr. Justice, he's a policeman. And Kay, she deals with fine art from mm -hmm. the college. She's a grad student. She's the beautiful. And if you put the just and the beautiful together, then you get a good life. That's the good. But it turns out not to work that way. Mm -hmm. And he turns around to a far more defensive view of the good, of trying to defend some good in private life from a situation where there can be a lot of corruption in public affairs and much suffering. That is more American than we think. Why are parents so terrified of anything happening to their kids, even though the world now is very safe? Why are people skeptical of public affairs and so often very, very angry about whatever political things are happening? We are aware mm -hmm. the world is much uglier than we dare admit. And what would be a way of dealing with that that's sane rather than insane? And that seems to be the question to which the tragedies of the Palma address themselves. How could you admit that there is evil in this world and be sort of sane 
after mm -hmm. you confront it. And it turns out not to be easy, but not to be impossible. And maybe that's really what you can hope for. You know, and despite Lee lying to him and making him believe that they were going after Junior Nash and that Lee had saved his life, he finds out this was a lie and finds out that Lee stole money and that his relationship with Kay is all based upon that corruption. He still is defensive of Lee because he sees that Lee had something good and that can be defensible. Similarly with Kay, she's an incredibly compromised position. But she still remains attractive. She's still Scarlett Johansson, right? He's shocked when he finds out that they have the money, right? You know, you lied to me. You know, were you going to tell me the truth? Well, now he might say, well, that's a nice little nest egg, right? You know, um, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you could say that's corrupt, but, you know, what, what's he going to do with that money? Yeah, presumably this genre can never become very popular. Primarily, we want happy ends. We want freedom mm -hmm. to work out if at all possible, without any corpses. If there have to be corpses, let there be bad guys. They deserve to die after all. And then we'll have uh -huh. a perfect future without them. Wouldn't that be nice? But precisely because we are tempted to believe in success, we need correction. And that's what mm -hmm. tragedy of this kind offers. There's sadness in it. But also, these are very beautiful movies. They are very well made and they're very thoughtful. Mm -hmm. So there is a compensation and in a way it is a better alternative. We're less deluded. The mm -hmm. use of the detective genre, of the crime story. Crime attracts our attention. Apparently America isn't as perfect as we'd like. But the detective says something about who we are. We're suckers in one way, but in another way to be American is to not want to be played for a sucker. Not yep. to be exploited, not to be lied to. And that is part of the payoff. That is part of the importance of these kinds of stories. We're not suckers. You know, and Bucky, yeah, he begins the movie betting against himself. Going through it, he's not going to bet against himself in the future anymore, right? Coming from where he came, this poor German family in the bad neighborhood and so on. He's insulted when he's with the Linscotts at dinner and the mother says, Oh, my husband tried to get a street named after me, Ramona Boulevard. Have you ever heard of it? It's a horrible place where Mexican prostitutes show their naked bodies and so on. And he says, Oh, yeah, I grew up there, right? So this, I suspect, is something common that he's gone through, you know, even after World War II. You know, they say, oh, you're German? <laughs> you know, where are your true sympathies? He's disrespected left and right. He's earned something by the end of this, right? It's a bitter pill, but, you know, that's a good American thing. He's not going to bet against himself anymore, right? But he's acquired some kind of virtue. He's more of a man than he was. He's a bit of a boy at the beginning. Yeah, that's a great point. He's not going to bet against himself anymore. It's a hard-bought lesson, but it's a very important and a good one. And it is a great note to end on. John, <laughs> thanks for joining me. It was a lovely conversation. I'm glad we're going through the De Palma movies. They're such a wonderful thing to think about. And I hope our audience will see how much there is to discover in these things and how beautiful they are to look at. Thanks yep. for doing this with me. And let's do another one soon. That sounds great to me, Titus. Thank you very much. All the best. See you later. <laughs>